Great to be here with you, whether you're here on our Canandaigua campus or whether you're a part of our online community or part of our Hopewell campus. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, we're going to be looking at unity and love this morning. We really are. And, and I thought this would be a good test case for our church family. And so, so, so here it is. I even got a challenge for you at the end that will help you a little bit. In this idea of unity and love and, uh, you know, it is what it is. He's with us and I'm excited. I, I got booed last time too, which is always a more, such an encouraging way to start a message. <laughs> Actually, it sort of is because you figure really everything's uphill from there. So, so thanks, thanks. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We're, we're, in, this, we're in this service metamorphosis and uh, talking about the transforming power of God in our life. And if you remember from last week, we really looked at two what I call hinge verses. And what I mean by hinge verses is they tie together a couple of uh, significant sort of lengthy teachings in a particular book. And of course, we're looking at Romans. And from Romans 1 through 11, Paul has written really some solid doctrine, obviously, solid doctrine on what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. He spent 11 chapters unpacking not just what God has, not only our predicament and and what God has done for us, but also sort of what God is working in both Jews and Gentiles alike. And he's done all this teaching on salvation, salvation history, if you will, and us entering into it. He's talked about what does it mean to to be justified, made right with God, where, where salvation comes into our life as Jesus is Lord of our life and Savior of our life. And he continues and talks about sanctification, which is a part of salvation, where we become like Jesus more and more as believers through the power of the Holy Spirit um, as we take on Christ's character and his love and his purpose and his priorities. He even talks about the future, what salvation will do, with glorification when Christ returns and and we see Christ face to face and and the work is finished. And, And so that section goes from Romans 1 all the way to Romans 11. Then in Romans 12, which we looked at last week, these two hinge verses, what is the reasonable response? When we look at all that God has done for us, as believers, what's our reasonable response? What's to give God our whole selves, to live as a living sacrifice. Lord, here I am, all of me, I'm yours. And then verse two says, what happens when we give God our full selves? Well, he transforms our thinking that we're not to be put into the mold of the world, but we're really be mold, we are to be molded into the very image of Christ. Again, his character, his love, his purpose, and his priorities. This is the work that God does. It's a reasonable response. So now Paul takes us into this section of the book where he's going to say, well, what does it look like, practically speaking, day to day in the life of a believer to be a living sacrifice? In fact, Paul's going to address what does practical Christian service look like? If we're giving ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, what does practical Christian service look like? And so we're going to look through the rest of chapter 12 together and look at what, what are two really byproducts of being a living sacrifice, of giving ourselves to God. And he does all this on this sort of foundation of openness between ourselves and God. Knowing that God knows all of us, we, we, want, to, we want to be open to him to do the work that he is desires to do in each and every one of our lives. And I was thinking of this word openness, this, this deep friendship that we have with Jesus. And I was reminded of a, 
of a definition or a description, if you will, that a friend of mine, Bert, shared with me many years ago. He said, genuine friendship. He said, this is what genuine friendship looks like. When you're able to walk into someone's house, go to their fridge, and drink out of their milk bottle. That was his definition. Now, first, you have to understand two things. But the first is this. That's disgusting. Like, I'm a germaphobe. I don't even drink after my wife. And so when he shared that, I just, oh, it's just sort of disgusting. The second thing is, it's a great illustration. Maybe not that. I'd prefer if you did that, by the way. Please use a glass. But the idea of being able to walk into someone's house and to be able to just go to their fridge and eat, right? That's openness. That, that's friendship. That, that's, that's feeling at home. And, and last week, we, we, we described it this way. We said if we're a living sacrifice, then God owns the deed to our house. That, of course, the idea of, of house is a metaphor for life. And to be transformed by God, we give him full control. He's the owner. Do of me as you will. And when we do this, there are some amazing byproducts that, that just naturally then through the power of the Spirit comes out of our life as believers. And the first, there's a couple of lengthy passages, so stick with me. But the first we're going to look at Romans 12, 3 through 8. It reads this way. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us, uh, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, and the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So the first byproduct of the two I want to look at this morning, Paul addresses is, is this, that if we give ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, then a byproduct of that is that believers will find their place in the body of Christ. But all of us have a place in the body of Christ. And I, find, I think it's interesting that Paul really speaks of faith throughout the book of Romans, but this is the third time he talks about a different function of faith. Like it's the same faith, but it's a different function of it. And let me explain it this way. In Romans chapter 3, he talks about how, how faith is an instrument by which we are saved. And that's a function of faith, that we believe in Christ for our salvation, and we enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ. But in Romans chapter 6, Paul says there's another function of faith. Same faith, just a different function. And that is in sanctification. That when we come to Christ and, and have this relationship with him, this saving relationship, but part of that relationship is he does make us more and more like Christ, again, in character, love, purpose, and priorities. And there's a faith in that journey as well. In other words, we don't just come to Christ in faith, we continue in Christ in faith. I don't know about you, but my journey of becoming like Jesus hasn't been a straight line upwards. It's at times looked like this. If yours has been straight upwards, please come to me after church and tell me what you've done, okay? how that's happened. But for me, it's been like this. It's been a journey. And it's had some times where I've I'm, I'm been like, God, you just, that was amazing. There's times like, Craig, you, you took control there. I know you did because it didn't go the right direction there. And it's faith. It's faith believing that God doesn't give up on me. 
It's faith believing that, that even in the times where the graph went down, I'm still a child of God. I'm thankful that God is faithful to the faithless. That he cares that deeply for us. But here Paul speaks of faith in a different function. It's, it's, it's serving faith. This faith that we need to step out as we're, as we're serving God. And, and years ago, I, I sort of got this. When I was, was sort of new to the faith and, and I'd hear testimonies and people would share their faith story. And I thought, I want a faith story like that. Like not their faith story, but I want my faith story. And, and I realized you have a faith story, catch this, when you step out in faith. That's when you get a faith story. And as we're serving God, we, we step out in faith. We trust that he has a place for us in the body of Christ. That, that, that this faith is a, is a special gift from God to allow us to, to find our place in the body and to, and to confidently serve in that way. And I'm not just talking about ministries here within the walls of this building. I mean part of the body of Christ and how he uses us every single day wherever we find ourselves. We're the church, not just building, we're the church. And wherever we find ourselves, we're ministering. Like if you're a school teacher, you're, you're, you're ministering as a school teacher. You're working at Starbucks, you're ministering at Starbucks. God, God uses us in our part in the body wherever we find ourselves. It's just amazing. And not only does he talk about the different functions of, of faith, he also talks about how grace enables us in different ways. When I speak of grace, I mean the profound love of God to open up these doors for us. In Romans chapter three, he talks about God's grace giving us the opportunity to come to salvation through Jesus Christ. He loves us first. Remember, I've said that salvation sort of looks like this, you know, to all who receive Christ. So he's, I've received Christ. I made the decision. And we walk through the door of salvation, but on the other side, what's it say? You didn't choose me, I chose you. God chose us. Like, he, he loves us. He, he made it possible through his love for us to be in relationship with him. Romans chapter 6, he talks about that sanctifying grace. Again, that love. But he loves us. And we're his children, and that it's, it's not a work-based love. We don't work to earn love. We, we work because we're loved. And here he talks about a serving grace, that God gives us his love to serve and to be a part of the body of Christ. And I love the fact that, that Paul uses this imagery of the body, a human body, a body. And we all play different parts in that body. We're not all the same, and yet we all function as one. It's amazing what God does in his church. He brings people of such diversity. I mean, we all have different stories. We all come from different perspectives. We all have different gifts. We all have different passions. And yet he says we're, we're to be one. And so he says that, that, that the church, the church in order to be relevant, has to have this, this surrender to God that allows it to be filled with the love of God. We're, we're not to think too highly of ourselves, he says. And that doesn't mean we think lowly of ourselves because we're children of God. That's a big deal, right, church? I mean, it's a big, big deal. And, and we can walk confidently, not arrogantly, but confidently because our, our heavenly daddy has our back. He surrounds us. But we need to not think too highly of ourselves. So what does that mean? It means know our area. Know, know what part we play in the body of Christ. Be comfortable in that part that he's called us to play and, and really influence in that area. But, but, that not one of us has the ability to speak to every area of the body. We should speak in, in our area. There's a leadership uh, term that speaks to this. It's first among equals. How many of you have heard that before? First among equals. And some like it, some don't. I, I love it. Uh, for me, it helps me uh, understand my place in the body of Christ. 
I understand, you know, I'm the lead pastor. So as lead pastor, I, I, I have the availability. Anytime I want to walk into any really, like not counseling meetings, but any leadership meeting, I can walk into and sit and I can listen. And because part of my job is to be a, sort of a cultural architect for our church and to make sure we're all heading in the same direction. But it doesn't mean I'm always the first person in that group. Uh, there are times where we will bring the leadership team together, and I'm not just talking about paid staff. I mean paid staff, unpaid staff, ministry partners, and, and we'll talk about things. And, and, and for instance, maybe we're talking about student ministry. And, and when we're talking about student ministry, I'm not the first among equals in that, in that meeting. I'm listening. I'm, my ears are wide open. I'm listening to Pastor Brian and Wendy, who are over that area. And there are times where we'll talk about what's going on in the church and discipleship. And Chris or someone who's on his team will speak up. And I'm not the first among equals. He is. And I want to hear what's happening. He lives and breathes that for our church. And what do we need to do? And how's that going in that area? And so even as lead pastor, first among equals, that doesn't mean I'm always the first among equals. It means I understand that God has given us in this church such an amazing uh, leadership. Uh, you know, this, this morning, I, I leaned over another staff pastor, and I, I said, well, when Dave's not singing, we got another leader now. We, I mean, we've had a ton of worship leaders. We have another worship leader, Elijah, this morning. What an amazing job, by the way. Can I just say? Yeah, 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 go for it. It's amazing. Like, I thought next week, Dave and I are just going to go to a beach somewhere. You know, we got other preachers and singing. You know, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a great gift that we, that we have here. And, and Elijah, when he's talking about sound and, and, and music, oh, he's the first among equals in there. What's, what's the point I'm getting at? The body of Christ doesn't work as a democracy. It doesn't. You say, Craig, how do you know? Well, I've read the scriptures. Democracy had the people, after they were freed from Egypt, and Moses was taking a little John up a mountain to say, hey, let's vote. How many of you think that we should build an altar, I mean, build a false god that we had in Egypt and maybe go back? You know what the people voted? Yeah, let's do that. You know what God voted? No. Moses came down and said, don't do it. In fact, I challenge you, look at the times in Scripture where the popular vote was taken in the people of Israel. Not one time was it ever a good thing. Just a thought. So the church doesn't work as a democracy, but catch this, for it to work, we must work together. How's that possible? Because we give ourselves as a living sacrifice. We say we're going to focus on the main thing. We're going to make sure the main thing continues to be the main thing. And what's the main thing? To know God and make him known. We keep our eyes on Jesus together. And when we take our eyes off Jesus, that's when trouble settles in. When I take my eyes off Jesus, guess where that, my eyes usually go? To me. It's not a coincidence then. It's selfishness. But when my eyes are on Jesus, it's selflessness. And that's what God calls his church to. Don't think more highly of yourself. Know you're a child of God, but, but don't infight. Don't, don't do that. I, even, even when staff comes into my office, and I'm passionate about almost everything, even things I'm really not passionate about. Like, it comes across passionate. Like, like I have an opinion on things, even things I don't know about. I mean, anyone out there like that? Come on, I'm not alone. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so they'll come in, and they'll share something with me, and I'll have to say to them, I'm a two on that one. You know what that means? It means I don't really care. Because I know what I've said probably came across really passionate. And what I found was in, in, in times of leadership, people would go off and do what they thought I wanted them to do when the reality of it is I didn't even know what they were talking about. And they were much better skilled at deciding for themselves. And so I thought, I've got to change this. And I thought, well, I can't really change my passion level because it is who I am. 
but I can at least give them a little cliff note. It's a two, I don't care, or I don't know, or do what you want. A 10, by the way, is the exact opposite on that list, and I am lead pastor, so sometimes I, I do pull that card, but very seldom, <laughs> very seldom. So there's this byproduct. We give ourselves to God, and he allows us to find our place in the body of Christ. Another byproduct of being a living sacrifice is that believers discover the many manifestations of love. So what do you mean? Well, let's look at God's word, Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in, in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Let me say that again. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. We'll get to that in a minute. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow. I love the fact that Paul starts this section on finding out this many manifestations of love by saying, let your love be genuine. Genuine. That word genuine, in some translations, it's sincere, comes from a Greek word that comes right out of the theater. It means don't wear a mask. Don't play your part, you know? And to be genuine, what Paul is saying is, is, is don't merely let it be a fake external thing. You know, have you ever been around somebody who, who can smile at you and stab you in the back at the same time? Paul, Paul's saying, don't be that person. Maybe you don't literally stab it, but, but you're figuratively, right? Don't, don't be that person. Let, let, let your love be a reflection of your heart. And you say, well, how can that be? How can we have that type of heart? How? Because we give ourselves as living sacrifice to God. And he transforms us. He changes our stinking thinking to, to godly thinking. He, he, he transforms our heart. God's love truly flows out of an unhindered heart given to him. And, and so love then is a matter not just of our emotions, although love is an emotional thing, it's also a matter of our will. We, we determine to love. We, we, we pray toward love. Right? We say, God, help us show your love to those around us. This is so evident over the years when, when a couple would come into my office, a married couple, and, they'll, and sometimes I've heard this type of thing, we have fallen out of love with each other. Maybe you've been there, maybe you've heard that. And let me just be honest with you. I love that honesty because love is something we determine. And when you say we've fallen out of love with each other, you're admitting something there. You haven't been doing a loving thing toward each other. Maybe you've violated the command of love. Maybe you've violated it really bad. And so 
that's a great starting point when a couple comes in and can be honest enough to say, we've fallen out of love with each other. And I say, well, here, you need to do the work to fall back in love with each other. And oftentimes they'll look at me and say, well, what are the eight things we need to do? And I say, listen, you need to call Dr. Phil for that. You, you, you're, you're seeing a pastor. That's what I am. I'm a pastor. And so everything that I'm going to share with you starts with Jesus Christ. And so if you want to learn how to fall in love with each other, you've got to first fall in love with him. And more times than not, I'm just being honest with you, more times than not, the couple will say, we've sort of fallen out of love with him too. Like we're not doing those things that we used to do that would allow us to grow in Christ. And I'll usually say, I, I sort of figured that. Do you know why? Because I'm married. I am. I'm not saying I'm a great husband. I'm a better husband. Okay, I'll say that because I don't want to get in trouble. I'm a, I'm a better husband when I'm focused on Jesus. Like when I'm focused on him and I'm growing in him, I'm a better husband. I'm a not so good husband. Okay, that's how I'm going to say it. Okay, when I'm not focused on him. Go figure. When he's not in control of my life and, and directing my steps, I tend to look out for me. How about you? And my call as a follower of Jesus Christ is to look out for others first. Not that I don't look out for me, because if I don't look out for me at all, then I won't be around to look out for you. But I'm going to look out for you first. I'm the trust that God has my back so I can have yours. And in marriage, I got to trust that God's going to be enough for me so that I can give without fearing that if I give, I won't get anything in return. And that's the way the body of Christ works, Paul says. We need to allow the Spirit to inflame our passions for Christ's will and his people. So much so that we care for each other's needs and we're hospitable. That word hospitable is interesting in context. Paul's really talking about like being hospitable, like welcoming people in your home type of thing. In the culture in which Paul wrote this, it was a necessity. That, that, that there weren't many hotels and motels and inns in Paul's day. Like that just didn't happen. And where they were, they weren't safe places. And it's still that way in much of, of the Middle East in which Paul's writing the context of this. And, and so hospitality is still something that's very valued in that part of the world. In this sense, because still to this day, if you went, you, you probably wouldn't want to stay in a hotel if it were there. And so what would happen in Paul's day was if a believer came into a community and you saw they were sort of a stranger, they weren't from your community, you'd invite them into your home. You'd go up, you'd say, look, I'm a believer, you're a believer? Yeah, why don't you come into my house? It's going to be a safe place for you. You'll be protected, we'll feed you, we'll care for you. You don't have to stay out here where it's not safe. Now, I don't know if that's as necessary today in the sense that we have hotels and they're safe places, but that idea of offering somewhere where it's safe is still necessary. I think our culture craves it. A place where they can come, you know, the good and bad and ugly, you know, and they can enter into our good and bad and ugly, but it's safe. We love you. We care for you. We don't have to have the same views on everything. We, 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 we're not going to, right? And, and, but but we, can, we, can, we can offer you that type of love and that care. The church, now I'm talking about not just this building, but this building right here should be that place. Right, church? Like people should be able to come in here no matter what they believe or think or whatever and journey with us. 
Now, I don't mean we compromise scripture. I'm going to preach the truth as I know it here. But they wouldn't come here if they didn't expect that. I've never had anyone come to my office. And I, mean, I often will say, I'm going to share with you from the Bible because I'm a pastor. And they don't go, really? I didn't know you are a pastor. They're not going to come to church here and expect us not to be Christian. But to be Christian is also to love and show hospitality and care for one another. And Paul gives us this, this, this great example of that. But he, but he takes it so many steps further. He says, listen, don't just act that way toward other believers. You need to act that way to people who have yet to believe. And, and then instantly he knows our thinking, which is, you mean people who are likable. He says, no, 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 no. I want you to do what Christ said, which is love those who are persecuting you. Huh? Like when they're throwing evil on you, I want you to throw good on them. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Jesus said it this way. It's recorded for us in Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke's gospel, he quotes Christ as saying this. But I say to you here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Genuine love. The first church suffered its, its fair share of persecution. But I wanna, I wanna share this. There were two persecutions that the first church suffered. Originally, their persecution was this, isolation. They would become a believer and they were sort of cast out of their families. By the way, some of you have experienced that. Maybe not physically, but, but, but culturally. You've become a believer and your family has said you're different now and they've distanced themselves. Some of you have become believers in your friendship group said, no, you've gotten a little weird. You're not doing the things that we're doing, and they've distanced themselves from you. In the first century, the first persecution was also job-related. People would come to Christ, and, and they would have to say to their employer, you know, some of those business practices we did before, I'm a Christian now, and I can't operate that way. And they would say, well, then you can't work here. And some of you have experienced that in your workplace. I know you have. You came to Christ, you've changed your, your ethics, if you will, and your employer said, well, I don't, I don't like that around here anymore. That was the original persecution. The persecution, when Paul wrote this letter, that was the persecution the first church was experiencing. Sometime after this letter, they began to experience different persecution, the persecution of of really giving their lives for the gospel, of being tortured and imprisoned. And many of our brothers and sisters in the world still experience that for being believers, simply because they're Christian. But we understand some of what Paul's writing here when he writes about persecution and the idea of, of culture not understanding what we really truly believe. We understand even the idea of persecution where we look down on other churches because they don't do what we think they should do. And, and we've got to be careful in that church. Judge not lest you be. Our responsibilities should start here. Now, it doesn't mean we don't judge actions. There are some people we're going to have to love enough to go up and say, that's not what Jesus would do. That's not what Jesus would do. But God help us if we're quick to do that and not start here. <laughs> Got to start here. Judgment begins in the house of God. It begins with me. It begins with you. And, and Paul's writing about this. He's, when he's saying, don't think more highly than you are, and he's, and he's saying, no, don't, 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 don't curse those who persecute you. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love them, and in doing so, you'll heap burning coals on their head. Now, that sounds like torture to me. 
Like that doesn't seem to be in alignment with love. Love someone so much you're heaping hot coals on their head? What's being spoken of here? Well, interesting, it goes back to Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. He's actually quoting from Proverbs. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Genuine love. I, I like how C.K. Barrett, a commentator, he says, the burning coals are, are fires of remorse. He says that you, you do good to somebody who's hurting you, and all of a sudden, they feel remorse for doing bad. Douglas Moo, one of my favorite com- commentators on the book of Romans, he agrees with many modern commentators. He writes this, he says, Paul view of coals of fire. He uses them as a metaphor for the burning pangs of shame. So you love somebody who's showing hate on you and and they start to feel ashamed for the way they're treating you. F.F. Bruce goes to a historical perspective and he brings up an Egyptian custom. He says the proverb refers to an Egyptian ritual in which a man gave public evidence of his penance by carrying a pan of burning coals on his head. That's pretty crazy. Glad I ain't around anymore. I pose this, uh, when we look at Romans 12, 21, it teaches us that evil should be overcome with good. And I love the fact that Paul didn't just write this, he exemplified it. You may remember the account, Paul and Silas are in jail in Philippi. That They're in jail and, and they sort of have nothing really to do. I mean, they're in jail, they're locked up, and they do what any of us would do, right? They start a worship service. And, and they start worshiping God, you know? They start thanking God for his love. Now, where are they at? They're in jail. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your provisions. Thank you for all that you're doing. I mean, they're singing out to God. I don't know what the words were, but they're praising the Lord. And God shows up in this way. He, he loves our worship so much, he just shakes the jail. I, I can't wait for a weekend, but we're singing so much that this building shakes, you know? Now, Steve, who's over the facility, doesn't want that to happen. But I, I thought that would be really cool. That would be really cool. But, but the shakes, and the door opens up. And so they do what any of us would do. If you were in prison and the door opened up, what would you do? You walk out the door, right? And so they walk out the door. Well, the, Philip, the, the, the Philippine uh, jailer comes in, and he realizes that all the prisoners are gone. Their prisoners are gone. Paul and Silas are gone. Roman law said that if you lost a prisoner, you would pay for your, with your life. So the Roman jailer, I mean, this Philippian jailer, he decides he's going to, like, steal this from his bosses. He decides he'll kill himself. Remember the account? He's getting ready to kill himself, and lo and behold, Paul and Silas go, what are you doing? We're still here. Without God, I think they would have been in the next county. Right? Come on now. With God, they're, they're still hanging around. And their jailer does what? Do you remember? He accepts Christ. He's blown away by their love. He's never seen Jesus face to face, but he's seen a type of Jesus in Paul and Silas that that brings us penance to his soul. And and I believe what Paul is saying here is, is, is more that this proverb and that the teaching of Christ and that Paul's writing in Romans is so much even more than remorse. The purpose isn't remorse, it's repentance. It always comes back to Jesus. And he says that when you give yourself to God as a living sacrifice, you start doing things that are 
counterintuitive to who you used to be. I don't know how you were raised. I was raised by my father. He would say, never throw the first punch, but throw the last one. Never start a fight, Craig, but you finish it. I don't think that's all bad, by the way, but it's certainly not all good. I'm just being honest. Some of us, we're fighters. Some of us, are we flight, right? I guess you probably know which one I am. That's good sometimes. It's not good all the time. It's good when it's being redeemed, and I'm a fighter like Jesus, who when his persecutors were persecuting him, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. You say, well, that seems like flight. No, it's not flight because it says that he could call down angels on them. He could have went, you know, God, I'm tired of this. Just wipe them out. But he was a fighter. And he said, no, I came with a purpose. And the purpose is the cross. And I'm going to go until, and I'm going to finish this one. How do we know he did? Because when he was done, he said what? It is finished. He didn't start to fight, but he finished it. And God calls us as his church. Don't start to fight, but finish it. And don't finish it the way you would have without Jesus. Finish it the way you will with him. Our culture, the world around us, needs to see people who will fight on their knees in prayer, who will fight with their hands in giving, and will fight with their mouths with, with, with truth and love. And Paul says we can do this. He says, how can we do this, Craig? How can we be so selfless? How can, man, how, how can we can turn our back on everything that maybe we were living up to this point? Romans 12, 1 and 2. The reasonable thing to do to a God who loves us so much and has offered us salvation is to give ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. To not be molded to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind from the inside out. Church, let me tell you, when we commit ourselves to such a thing, there's no hope for this region except for Jesus. There's no hope for the brokenhearted except for Jesus. And they may not see him face to face, but oh Lord God, would you put us in such a place that they'll see a type of you in us? Jesus said they'll know why I came when they see the love that my people have for each other. To me, I think the greatest evangelism strategy is to try to outlove each other so much that the world around us says, I want to get in on it. What do you think? Let me challenge you. You can start that even today. When the Super Bowl is playing, root for the Bucks. <laughs> Let God transform your thinking. And maybe next year, maybe next year, Bills fans, Brady will show you mercy. <laughs> you knew I had to say something. Wherever you find yourself this morning, why don't you take that next step with Jesus? Seriously. God loves you. He loves you. If you've yet to receive him as Lord and Savior, why not right now? Wherever you are on your sanctifying journey, believer, what is that next step? Just take it with them. Step out in faith. Triple dog dairy. <laughs> See what God can do in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace, your school. As God has met in this time of gathering, let's just 
take God at his word, what he can do through us as we scatter through this region. His glory. Pal, God, I'm yours. Do with me as you will. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for loving us so completely. And I say this over and over again, but it, it never ceased to amaze me how your words that you inspired like Paul to write nearly 2,000 years ago are so appropriate to us today. Your words living and active. It isn't dated because you're just as alive today as you were when you inspired these words spoken to Paul. Help us, Lord God. Help us understand what it means to, to truly come to you in salvation, to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. For, thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins, for being resurrected for our salvation. And Lord, I pray that anyone's yet to do that, even now in the quietness of their heart, they'll take that step. Lord, for those of us who have made that decision, as we continue to grow and become more like Jesus in his character and his love and his purposes and his priorities, Lord, I pray that we just keep our eyes on you. And when we find our eyes drifting away, May we not sit there and just beat ourselves up. May we just do what you've called us to do and put our eyes back on you. Thank you for loving us. God, I pray that each of us, because of giving ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, allowing you to just work within us, that each of us will find our place in the body of Christ. That each of us would understand the many manifestations of love. Teach us how to love our fellow Christians. Teach us, Father God, to learn how to love those who've yet to believe, and even teach us how to love those, Lord God, who may be mistreating us. Now, Father, let us not confuse justice with revenge. We are to be a people of justice. From cover to cover, your word is about justice, and so we want to stand up for the injustices around us. But we don't want to take revenge. Vengeance is yours. And Lord, there are times where I've tried to do that and you've let me, it doesn't work well. Let me trust that you have our back, that you surround us. And it's in that power that we can do the things that seem impossible humanly, but are quite possible when we as humans place ourselves in your divine hand. Fill us with your love, that we would love others. And may it not only transform us, may it, may it bring them to a relationship with you that transform us. In Jesus' name, in your name, amen.